Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Good morning, Matthew. Another cooler morning here uh, in the studio. We've got the heater going and we'll probably leave it going because it'll freeze here otherwise, but... um you like it, okay. I know that. Yeah. You don't even have no, a jacket. No, 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 no. Actually, you know what? Because uh, you know, because I talk about how much I love winter, mm. but I, I don't like being cold. Right. I like being warm in the cold. Right. That's, so you like the big jackets and the kind of. I love you know, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Scarves and hats. And oh man, people control. You know, people complain about uh, about winter. It's like put a jacket on. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you know. Well, that's true. I mean, in summer, you can only go so far into what you can that's take right. off. Exactly. Yeah. But you can put as many layers as you want on. Listeners, great to have you with us. Thrive Deeper, uh, episode 176, I think it is. And uh, we're continuing. Well, in fact, we're coming to the close of our uh, study through the book of Jeremiah. And uh, Matt, we've covered, you know, uh, right up to chapter 41 mm. uh, in our last episode. And uh, we sort of touched on then um, the placement of Gedaliah into being governor of, of Judah as the Babylonians had uh, taken over the city. And the period we're going to cover from here, 41 to the end of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 42, covers sort of the period following the fall mm. of Jerusalem. It focuses on the events that occurred in the aftermath of the destruction of the city. It's pretty chaotic mm. in Judah at this point in time. We've got the assassination of Gedaliah, as we talked about last episode. And then, of course, this brings the fear of reprisals from the Babylonians. Mm. It's like, oh, my goodness, they're going to come back. Uh, and so this is where there's this sense of we need to, to escape. And we're going to come into that now as mm. we jump into chapter 41. So you wouldn't have... I mean, we said about Zedekiah, who's the last king. You know, it's yeah. not a job you would want, no. is it? You no. know, it's... Because there's, there's all, there are all these factions and, you know, even as the Babylonian armies are outside the walls. You know, there is these factions, you know, like yeah. Jeremiah saying one thing and then, you know, Zedekiah is caught between Jeremiah and perhaps followers of Jeremiah and then this other faction that is saying, no, we're going to, we're mm. going to, you know, we'll, we'll stand against them and Egypt's going to help us. Mm. And, you know, poor old Zedekiah standing in, in the midst of this and uh, it's not a job you want. It's interesting actually how similar the situation here here in sort of 587, 586 BC is to what was happening in 69 and 70 AD a, around the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, AD, that's yeah, what I said, yes, yeah. Yep. So when, and of course in 69, 70 AD, that's the, mm. was the end of the Jewish wars um, because the Jews rebelled against the Romans yes. in the Jewish wars from about 66 AD through to about 70. And Similar situation because the Romans in 70 AD uh, had the city under siege and there were all of these factions, you know, mm, mm. Uh, that were kind of fighting each other. Now, they didn't actually have one king as such that was trying to negotiate. The, the factions just – it was just a bloodbath. It yeah. was actually a civil war inside the city. So it was it, – it's, but it's interesting how similar the situations yes. were, you know, that essentially in 70 AD you have this repeat of this. And, mm, and that didn't mm. – Escape the attention of someone like Josephus, who records is, is yes. a, a Jewish historian Sorry. who recorded the the story of the of the fall of Jerusalem in seventy AD, and you know he sees that as, in a sense, as like a second a second kind of Babylonian captivity yeah. uh, in, in a way, and in mm. some ways not not far wrong really. No. But I think Zedekiah also, you know, like modern day 
governments, for want of a better word, you know, there's the pressure of the power brokers. Yeah, that's right. There's the right decision. And I think we can think of some fairly powerful lobbies in world politics right now who we can all see a certain decision should be made, but the power of these lobby groups, you know, just put you in an untenable position, it would seem. That's right. To make a call, unless you were willing to kind of just sacrifice yourself and your position. And in Zedekiah's case, probably his life, if if he was to not walk that fine line between trying to keep everybody yeah. happy, which that's is right. not possible, I mean, of course. Yeah, that's right. I mean, these kings, they were quite vulnerable. Mm. You know, they mm. they were – and for them, it wasn't a matter of just getting voted out of office. You no. would actually get killed, killed. Exactly. if you didn't really yeah. get the most influential people yeah. um, on, side. on side. And then the problem with Zedekiah is he had the influential people and ability on the one hand, uh, who would have been like the chief priests and, and people like that. But then he had – you know, Jeremiah speaking to the people. So there was like a grassroots kind of of group of people that Mm. that were following Jeremiah and and then you've got his own conscience. And and so, you know, that was a difficult situation for him. But in a sense, you know, when Gedaliah, when, you know, the city falls and Gedaliah is put in uh, in charge of the remaining people. And by remaining people, you're talking about a bunch of farmers, really, a bunch of peasant farmers. Um, But still, you know, they they are, you know, they're, they're landowners and they're left to care for the land. Again, an undesirable job because there's still, even at this stage, you know, we hear about these murmurings of rebellion, yeah. you know, you know, Ishmael is this figure. But even Gedaliah at this stage, he can't even believe that they would be that, that after, silly. Yeah, yeah, that they would be that silly. After yeah. everything that's happened, what could you possibly gain by another uprising mm. uh, after all? And, and I think that's the significance of the story here, that he just doesn't believe it. Yeah. There's no, what are you going to gain from this? I mean, we've been absolutely decimated. Mm. And so when Johan, his, you know, the army uh, general, general 2IC in a way, comes and says, oh, man, there's some murmurings of uh, rebellion here. and We he should get on the front foot. We should get on the front foot. He doesn't believe it. Yeah. You know, and of course, you know, that goes ahead and, and this yeah. this fellow, you know, Ishmael, kills a number of people, including uh, Babylonian uh, officials. And soldiers. Yep. Uh, and get a liar. And... You and know, then proceeds to kind of massacre a whole lot of other people at Mizzou. That's right. And so, and then, you know, Johan is left with this, with the stragglers. Of course, you know, Ishmael hightails it off, mm. uh, you know, down to Petra or whatever, um, mm. you know, to live in the hills and, like, yep. you know, hide, you know, with his group of people. I mean, mm. he, you know, uh, we, we sort of, you know, see this very bleak situation that mm. they're, they're left terrified because, mm. you know, they're thinking the Babylonians aren't going to differentiate between us and, they're not going to take the time exactly right. Because you know, remember, he killed Babylonian soldiers, so it wasn't yeah. just like he, he was having a crack at Gedaliah, for instance. It's like he he went to Mizpah, which was kind of where they'd established Gedaliah had established his kind of headquarters. There yeah. were there were Babylonian soldiers there helping, you know, yeah. with that. And so you know, this is a pretty serious. Yeah. They would have thought a pretty serious aggrievement against the Babylonians. Yeah, but they do to their credit. I mean, there's not much credit here to them, I have to say. But to their momentary credit, they come to Jeremiah they and do. they, you know, they seek the word of the Lord. Like, wow, man, if you, you know, like, I mean, but we, I guess we see Zedekiah doing a little bit of that, don't we? We see yes. him consulting Jeremiah and then he didn't hear what he wanted to hear. And, or, or because of pressure from his officials, he doesn't end up yeah. following through with that. But they do that. Mm. And they say, Jeremiah, what should we do? Yeah, and they say, Jeremiah, what should we do? And on top of that, they say, we'll do whatever it is, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Yeah. I mean, they were really making a fairly strong 
uh, statement that regardless of what he told them, they were going to obey that. Yeah. And, and then- <laughs> so then he, he goes away for like 10 days to pray and to, mm. to seek God, come back. It's not like he just said, oh, well, here's what we should do. He actually, you know. No, that's right. He's not giving them his best idea. Exactly right. He's gone away and really sought the Lord, come back. And you would think after all these other prophecies that he's given that have now come to pass. Yeah. When he comes back with, the, they would there'd be just no question. Yeah, but they go, nah, we're not doing that. Yeah, that's right. So he's, he tells them to stay. Mm. Uh, he he tells yep. them to yep. basically that they're going to be safe. That if they remain in the land, that K- king of Babylon he, he'll understand and whatever. Uh, you know, but fear gets the best of them. Mm. Yeah, uh, gets the better of them, and and basically they decide, no, we're going to escape to Egypt. And you know, Jeremiah says, listen. Uh, Disaster is going to overtake you there. Egypt is not a safe space. No. Uh, the safe place is to do what God, God tells you to do. To That's yeah. the safe place. Uh, you know, I mean, this is the ancient world. There are no safe places. Not really. <laughs> In one sense, there are no safe places. And mm. and But they're thinking, you know, if we go to Egypt, Egypt is a safe place because of its military power and uh, plenty of food and that's right it's the one place that's kind of still just holding out yes uh now actually it didn't hold hold out uh, i think in the 60 the the 560s it fell uh to uh to babylon oh, yes that's right and in fact what they ended up doing the very enemy they were trying to flee which was in jeremiah's message to them yeah. the very enemy you're trying to flee you'll actually find where you go you that's know, right which is exactly exactly what, what happened. happened yeah you know they, they they flee there and i think one important thing is they didn't just say we're not going to we're not going to follow the word of the lord in this they actually accused jeremiah of lying yeah uh, about you know the word which is like man uh here's here's the guy who's been through an awful lot yeah. to tell you what's going to happen if you continue to disobey god it happens yeah then he comes back after you've asked him you know, yeah. and, and Jeremiah kind of says, you, you asked me to tell you, I'm telling you now. Yeah. Uh, and they accuse him of lying. Devastating for him. And of course, they they then flee and take Jeremiah with them yeah, to Egypt. It's a sad story, you know, for Jeremiah and mm. you, you feel for him. I mean, he, his ministry continues, interestingly, in, yeah. in Egypt. He, yeah. he's, uh, he actually speaks to them uh, in Egypt. There's an interesting interchange here, Stu, yeah. in chapter 44, where they say to him, because it turns out that they're still practicing idolatry. Yep. In fact, they're quite brazen with this. You know, they're sacrificing to the Queen of Heaven, which yep. is uh, Ashtate. And they basically say to Jeremiah, listen, ever since we stopped sacrificing everything to the went Queen, wrong. And everything mm. went wrong. And you mm. can sort of see their argument mm. because it was during the, the time of Josiah, the Josiah's reforms, reformed, yep. that, that these cults, you know, the cult of Ashtate or Ashtoreth or, oh. you know, mm. there's a few different, same, mm. uh, same goddess, essentially. So, so, you know, he demolished all of the uh, Ashtoreth poles and mm. Baal worship and all of that. And they're saying, well, well, what good did that do us? Because yeah. ostensibly after Josiah's rule, everything went downhill. Now, we know from history that that was really important because God had said anyway that the exile was an inevitability. Uh, what that religious revival under Josiah did was that it prepared a generation who were going to go into exile and carry the, a, a renewed faith with them. Uh, and and the holy books and everything they were going to go and there was going to be a wonderful like people like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they were all part of the you know inner circle the nobility uh, who were taken into Babylon and they led you know wonderful uh, revival actually there in in exile. Uh, so you know there was we know that there was a lot of sense to that 
to that revival. But they're thinking, but politically, this didn't yeah. gain us anything. Now, we also know that that's not the main game. You know, that there are there can be, you know, losses in terms of, you know, political or worldly power. Yeah. Uh, and yet the kingdom of God often flourishes in those moments. I mean, what you see in exile is a remarkable yes, religious revival, revival, even though yeah. they're in exile. You know, mm. they're essentially mm. uh, captives, not captives in prison, but they're living, you know, still mm. essentially in exile. So even though things were bad, were a really low ebb, the lowest ebb, really, in their history politically, and yet spiritually it was a time of, uh, mm. of, of great revival. However, their argument is, all they can see is once we abandoned these cults uh, and worshipping these idols, everything went badly. And so, you know, we're not listening to you, mate. Yeah. We, we're going to, you know, we're going to um, start worshipping the Queen of Heaven again. You know, th- this is the headspace that they're in. Yeah. And, you know, to us as readers, you see, well, see, this is the whole problem, right? It's like, what's in it for me? Exactly. It's this what's in it for me approach. It's about success rather than necessarily obedience again. And I mean, I love what you're saying. And we're going to come to this a little further around, you know, the fact that revival happened in probably yeah. what was the darkest place. There's, yeah. a, there's a pastor I probably overquote that says, you know, the light shines brightest in the darkness. So uh, sure there was one thing you skipped over there, which I thought was important in chapter 43, this yeah. kind of instruction to lay when they arrived in, I'm not sure how you say this, but I'm going to go Tarpanese, yeah. uh, which was an important Tarpanese, city in Egypt yeah, at, yeah, at yeah, the time. Yeah. It was basically became the significant center for the Judean exiles. Mm. Um, it's currently probably, if you tried to figure out where that was, northeastern Nile Delta is yeah. probably where it was positioned, but he's instructed there to take, a mes- he receives a message from the Lord, he's instructed to take some large stones and bury them at the entrance of Pharaoh's palace there, Yeah, uh, as a bit of a symbolic act, I guess, about the judgment that is going to come yeah. on Egypt, and he says, you know, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians are going to mm. come and build his very throne yeah. and on this place, and yeah. so there's this whole, almost from the moment Jeremiah arrives in Egypt, he's saying, mm. this is what I told you would happen, and this is what's mm. going to happen. And, and he becomes... You know, essentially a prophet to Egypt in yes. that sense as well. Yeah. I mean, the very beginning of the book of Jeremiah, uh, you know, God talks about him as um, overthrowing nations. And I mean, we're going to see in the latter part of this book that all of these the prophecies yeah. about nations. You know, this is not a a parochial God in, you know, God of one tribe. This is the God of all the earth yes. who, who controls yeah. the fate of, uh, of nations. And that, you know, that becomes uh, very evident towards the end of this book. But mm. um, certainly in that case, he's prophesying uh, about uh, about Egypt. Um, of course, Baruch is an interesting character here, and we, we hear about Baruch is, is Jeremiah's scribe. Probably you know, the shortest chapter in the book of Jeremiah. It is. It's a, it's a short chapter, chapter but it's it's a touching chapter yeah, in the sense that, you know, God really honors Baruch and the role that, that he's played. Mm. And he... You know, he sacrifices a lot for this. I mean, of course, uh, Baruch, you know, keeps his life and- He ends up in Egypt too, I think. Yeah, he ends up in Egypt. He may have actually gone from there, though, to Babylon. This, you know, right. some people think that okay. he may have carried- the, Jeremiah's the, words. Yeah, Jeremiah's yeah. final words, actually, to the people uh, in, in Babylon. Mm-hmm. But he's you know, he potentially could have been someone of significance, of political significance. Now, of course, everyone of political significance <laughs> ends up sort of, uh, you know, disappearing into the uh, into the disaster that yeah. overtook uh, Judah at this stage. Uh, he's a man who, who yes, could have could have been a significant community leader, and yet he, you know, he gave that up t- to become Jeremiah's disciple and an aide and scribe and so forth. And so we see God really honouring uh, him here. I think, which is which is yeah. very touching. Then we sort of move into the sort of the prophecies against the nations mm. as we as we move into chapter forty six. 
so it seems like these these chapters are sort of you know tagged on the end uh, of the book here in some ways the book you sort of finish with with Baruch because mm. of course Baruch kind of wraps this up yes and so in a sense he has the last word you know his testimony here is sort of the last word in this in this book particularly if you imagine him taking these words and taking them to Babylon. Uh, to the people uh, mm. in Babylon but the you know there's this question of of you know he has these prophecies about the nations that would have been uh, prophecies that came during Jeremiah's ministry at some time. We don't yes. know when in Jeremiah's ministry these prophecies were made, but they're attached on to the end of the book uh, as such here. You know, as I said, they are prophecies that show the, uh, you know, the significance of of the fact that, you know, God is the God of all of the nations. Mm. And, uh, and he'll choose yeah. whatever instrument he wants to use to discipline, to shape his people. Yeah. I mean, at one point, uh, he uses Babylon and then as we, well, Egypt and then Babylon. Uh, so it's like God doesn't take sides here except God's side. You know, yeah. it's no point putting our trust in political parties or political powers or yeah. or, or whatever because it's it's what God wants and yeah. he'll use whatever instrument he needs to use. And Yeah, uh, that's right. And so now we see this, this these series of judgments being or prophecies against the various nations that had been really enemies of yeah. The nation of Judah. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That right. And this is, yeah. you know, it's a fairly unique thing in, mm. in, you know, in an ancient world context because prophets tended to be associated, you know, like it speaks about the prophets of Baal or this. Yeah. So they were localized uh, people and they were in touch with localized deities. But the significance here is that this is the God of all of the earth. And so mm. Jeremiah's ta- talking about uh, essentially, of you know, the, all of the known world uh, in some sense, certainly. Uh, you know, he's, I mean, he's speaking about Babylon, which is this, you know, massive empire. And there's certainly every sense in which, and the message that you get is that Babylon is not outside of God's sovereignty. Yes. It's yeah, completely exactly. under God's sovereignty. Yeah. Interesting thing about the prophecy against Babylon uh, here is that, you know, Jeremiah prophesies that Babylon's going to become this wasteland, you know, uh, mm. that's going to be destroyed and, and it's going to become this uninhabited wasteland. And of course it does. You know, yes. I mean, today, uh, you know, the site of ancient Babylon is a, absolutely a, a wasteland. And it's, it's, I mean, it's near Baghdad, but it's it's just sort of there in a bit Ruins. of a wasteland. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, and and I mean, it's been, there's been some excavation there, but, you know, not a lot. And, and this is an empire that kind of rose and fell pretty quickly, only oh, within a century, basically, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, but powerful, oh, powerful yeah, empire. Yeah. And yet what's left of it? Nothing. Nothing. It's just, yeah. you know. And, you know, it's interesting to compare that with with Jerusalem, of course. Now, Jerusalem has, you know, been destroyed many times over. Uh, but it is one of the most famous centers in the world today. Yes. I mean, uh, one, one might say perhaps infamous in the sense because there's so much so much trouble Conflict, and so much tension yeah. associated yeah. Uh, with the city. But, I mean, people today still stream to Jerusalem, you yes. know, and I've been there many times and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, people sometimes say, is it a safe place to go? I say, you would have no idea how many tourists actually really flow in from all the nations. I mean, you know, the prophecies of Isaiah, you know, talk about all the nations streaming to Jerusalem. I mean, if, you know, even just in terms of tourism. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. 
you know, n- not a, you know, not only Christian tourism, but but you know, Jews from a, a, all over the world, uh, obviously flock still flock to mm. Jerusalem. Even uh, Muslims still uh, make yep. pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem. It's just it, you know, it's like truly all of the world uh, continually. Uh, there's this influx of uh, of people, people from all over yeah. the world to Jerusalem to this day. Uh, you know, I mean, no one's you know, Babylon sits there as a wasteland. So the the, the contrast, contrast the, yeah. yeah, between them is is quite remarkable when you think about these prophecies, it's mm. absolutely been fulfilled. Yeah. Because on the one hand, uh, the prophets are saying Jerusalem will be inhabited again mm. and all the nations of the earth w- will stream to it. And I think, you know, I, I think the fulfillment of that prophecy obviously is of all the nations streaming to Jerusalem. I think Jerusalem becomes a symbol of God's people and, yes. and I think ultimately God's new covenant people as well. I think it can be taken, yeah, you know, totally. I think that can be read in terms of God's church as well, mm. you know, yeah. uh, not, not in replacement no. of, but, uh, you know, as well. And, uh, and so we see in the fulfillment in the way that all nations of the earth have, have, have come to Christ and become part of God's people. We'll have the opportunity to do that, exactly. That's right. right. So yeah. that's a fulfillment of that. But there's there's this, you know, I just think it's interesting because there's that that literal fulfillment mm. that I, mm. you know, when I whenever I go there and I see all different people from all over the world flocking to Jerusalem, I think of these prophecies, uh, you know, and, and in contrast with the sort of desolate waste that, uh, you know, yeah. the Babylon uh, yeah. sort of still is, that mm. the site of Babylon. Uh, you know, I don't know anyone that's that's been, you know, it's... That's just what I think of when I think of this. I think it highlights for me the contrast and the way that these things have been fulfilled. Yeah, totally. So, uh, so then there's sort of judgments, prophecies. Now, I don't know whether you want to go into any of these in particular, but you know, against Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Babylon itself, obviously. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether you want to walk through each of those or anyone's. No, in not particular. really. I think I, you um, know, I, I think there's there are similar similar prophecies to each one of them. They're quite wide ranging. I mean, yes. it, it really covers. It really Last covers area. everyone here. I mean, the Philistines were a long-standing enemy of Israel, obviously. Yep. Moab, which is in modern-day Jordan, located yep. not far from where Petra is. Yeah, uh, lots of pride and arrogance uh, uh, and false gods there, and and so uh, you know, um, speaking to judgment against that. Ammon, which is the capital and largest city of Jordan, it's now known yep. as Philadelphia, I think it is, or Amman. Prophecy against them as well. Uh, of course, they were the descendants of Lot. And, and again, traditional enemies of Israel against Edom, uh, descendants mm. of Esau, uh, against Damascus, which is capital city of Syria, Aram. Prophecy against Kedah, which are, they were nomadic tribes yeah. at the time. And then obviously the kingdom of Hazor, which is on the Arabian Peninsula and had always shown hostility towards Israel. And so in a sense, this is kind of reflecting back to that statement in Genesis 12, I think it is, where those who curse uh, mm. Israel will... Yeah, I will curse, and, yeah. and and these are all nations yeah. that surrounded yeah. and around Israel who who had been their enemies in yeah. reality. Yeah, and and I think part of the purpose of this too is to recognise that yes, Judah has fallen, mm. but everyone is. This is not just for like this is yes. not just for Judah. Everyone comes under this same judgment. Right. You know, the same. It's the same measuring stick in, in you know in one sense, and although it's a little harsher in some ways for Judah because of what. They should you know, know better. To, to whom much is given, much Correct. will be required. Yeah. And yet, throughout those prophecies, you you have this sense of permanency. You know, for example, with Babylon, as I've just been saying. Yeah. And yet, there even in these oracles, there are oracles of hope. You know, yet, yeah. un, unlike you, you know, my people Israel will, Judah will th- th- they will return and they will be regathered. Um, yeah. You know, regathered and so forth. And then, 
right at the end of the book of Jeremiah, we have this repeat of the fall of Jerusalem. It's mm. interesting that this is tagged on the end because this is very much like, uh, pretty much it's the end of the book of Kings. This sets us up. Two Kings 24. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. yeah so uh, there's you, a bit of extra information. There's this mm. statistical detail that was yep. in this account in Jeremiah that wasn't in the Kings account yep. where they give the numbers, the, yep. the specific numbers. Yeah. And I think also the detail around Gedaliah's assassination was more detailed in Kings than it is in here. Yep. But otherwise, really, it's a recount yeah. of everything that's happened. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it makes this book stand alone, even though it belongs within the context of, of the you know kings, and it does enable it to stand alone somewhat as a book. And, and because, in a sense, what you see with this chapter is the fulfillment. It's essentially recording the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecies, yeah. uh, saying, well, what he prophesied is, is coming about. Including the fact that Jehoiachin, yeah. where he prophesied that Jehoiachin would not die. Yeah. He doesn't. In fact, he's released from prison after 37 years, I think it is, yeah. in captivity there. He's released uh, King Merodach, yep. evil Merodach, yep. Yep. Uh, releases him. And he was actually treated kindly and you know, kind of given a prominent place among yeah. the Babylonian king's court from yeah. that point forward. But yeah. um, that's the very last repeat there, I guess, yeah. of, of the prophecies of Jeremiah in that kind of summary. Yeah. And the point, the point there is that it's... You know, it's a sign of hope. It, yeah. it ends with a sign of hope. So, yes, there's been the destruction, but uh, we see the covenant is still operational. So, yeah. this is a little bit like, you know, Je- Jehoiachin puts aside his prison clothes. This is the last yeah. two verses. I'll, I'll yeah. read it. Yeah, so, great. Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. That's no small thing. No. You know, he's eating at the king's table with the highest officials. Most uh, powerful nation at yeah, the time. That's right. Known, known world. Yeah. That's right. Uh, day by day, the king of Babylon gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived uh, till the day of his death. Now, this isn't just about Jehoiachin. This is the fulfillment of God's covenant that he's still under this covenant of blessing. And so there's an echo of the Joseph story here. You know, he's been released from prison. He's yeah, right. been he's been given this place in in the you know king's at, at the, at the king in the king's court at the mm. king's table. Mm. You know, you prepare my table in the presence of my enemies. You know, Psalm. Yeah, 23, right. this is all connected. You know, Psalm 23 is, you know, is connected with co- the covenant promises and we see the significance of sharing, you know, the sharing the table here. And um, this is this sign and it's not, you know, it's not written in neon lights, but it's close. I mean, yes. to yeah. to someone who understands the covenant promises and the stories that we've mm. seen, you know, you see this patterning here in this. Ah, okay. So like Joseph, who spent that time in prison, he's released. Uh, he is Elevated. has this place at the mm. king's table. And remember, you know, there's this significance between the fate of the one and the many. And the fate of the one can be a sign of what's going to happen with the many. And so, in a sense, this becomes a sign of what's going to happen with the many, because the Jews are going to be released from their captivity. And you might even say, from a Christian point of view, there's even a bigger kind of symbolism here. I don't want to read too much into this, but, you know, release from captivity and eating at the king's table. Yeah. Ultimately, that's where the covenant, that's what the covenant faithfulness ultimately looks like. Yes. This is a sign of that same covenant faithfulness. So I do think there is a, you know, there's a sort of a covenantal link between this story and Mm. and ultimately, you know, I think the uh, release from captivity, you know, Jesus uh, quotes Isaiah 61 about himself to release the prisoners from Mm. captivity and the whole, you know, the whole uh, symbolism around the Lord's table and, uh, you know, communing with Christ the King at at Mm. the, you know, the King's table. And 
even though that's not explicitly what this is about, there's the covenantal link there yeah. that I think is yeah, just so uh, so significant. Just before we leave Jeremiah, and mm. we're going to kind of do a bit of a brief intro as we head mm. into Ezekiel, yep. and, and then obviously Daniel in our next uh, edition of Thrive. I've just been, as we've been reading through this, reflecting on my own kind of response to some of this, and now perhaps propensity to kind of look back and go, how stupid were these people? <laughs> and, you know, these prophecies and, you know, worshipping idols and, you know, why wouldn't yeah. they just really listen to what Jeremiah was saying and repent and seek God? And yet I, I and then I think to myself, you know, if, if we re- if we recall, you know, the things that were dependent for them on their survival were, you know, agriculture, and so yep. they started worshiping the gods that they thought would buy them. You know, yep. they could hedge their bets to make sure. And and for us today, you know, I think in in current culture, it's really easy for us to dismiss that and not recognize the idols in our own lives. Yep. You know, the thing here. You know, the the vast majority of Jeremiah's prophecies were about people putting their trust in anything yeah. other than God. Yeah. And I think there's a temptation for us to look back and go, oh, tut, tut. But the reality is for us, they're different things. They're yeah. different things. But I yeah. think we, we, we certainly, and particularly Western culture, we can put our trust in so many yeah. other things other than God. Absolutely. And and this really, I think, is the key to really reading and understanding this book. It's not just about understanding background and what's mm. going on in the text. I mean, that's all important, but you've got to see yourself in the text yeah. and you've got to see the propensity. It's the same tendency, right? Mm. Because we have this this desire to establish our own sense of security. And, you know, and in an ancient context, that looked like, you know, buying off the gods and, and gaining some sense of security through your ability to you know pay off these gods and i mean we just do that in different ways yes, you know exactly. we, our natural tendency is not to trust god our natural tendency uh is to trust in other things and our own uh ingenuity to solve our own problems try everything first and then when that doesn't work that's let's right pray about that exactly whereas we should be starting with seeking god exactly and yeah. and it's not that we yeah, it's not that we don't, you know, we're not financially responsible or we don't, you know, no, I mean, but not. that's the key, Stu, I think, for these books to have meaning and for us to be engaged in them. And I think this is important because we're going to we're gonna continue in Ezekiel and I, I would implore our listeners not to tire of these prophecies. You know, yeah. again, please hear the heart of God in these. Mm. When we get to uh, Ezekiel, you know, we're going to see still more stuff about idolatry, but please don't tire of that because these are written for us so that yeah. we can check ourselves and these are tendencies within us. I mean, I think there's some really unique stuff in Ezekiel. Ezekiel goes about this in a slightly different way. And I think that the book of Ezekiel is a very interesting mm. uh, book, but there's also some remarkable prophetic material in the book of Ezekiel. I mean, really remarkable stuff yeah. um, because, you know, immediately Ezekiel does address, you know, the sins of of Judah, but he quickly, that quickly turns into some amazing promises, actually. And, and Ezekiel was yeah. himself among the first group of exiles taken to Babylon. Yeah, well, uh, the, the first major deportation, yes. which was in 597. So there's an initial group of people that were taken yes. hostage yep. in, in around 605, probably. Yep. Yep. That's probably when Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Which was prior to the siege. Yeah, yeah, that's yep. right. And then when uh, Jehoiakim rebelled and then Babylon came back and and they took Jehoiachin. Mm. Uh, when Jehoiachin went into exile, uh, that's when Ezekiel went yeah. as well, because you know there was a uh, you know some like thousands of people that went uh, into exile land. Yeah. 
uh, as and, well. And would most of these prophecies have been written by him in Babylon? Uh, Ezekiel's yes. prophecies? Um, yeah. Prophets, you know, as we know, they had their scribes. And so, you know, we, we can probably imagine that, you know, Ezekiel... Uh, Ezekiel had his. We, we, they're not always mentioned. No, Isaiah does refer uh, to to a scribe and Jeremiah, of uh, course. Baruch. Yeah, Je- Baruch is probably the most prominent uh, mm. of the uh, prophetic scribes. Yeah, so he's so Ezekiel is prophesying actually from the moment he's exclusively a, a an exilic prophet. Right. So his ministry really begins in Babylon. Yeah. You know, so we have that opening vision mm. and uh, you know prophetic. Uh, ministries often begin with some kind of, yeah, you know, right. call narrative, and you see that uh, again uh, with Zeke. You don't get that with. There are a number of prophets like Amos and 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 you know Nahum and others that you just they just kind of turn up out of the blue. Mm. But the you know the main prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel uh, they from whom we have lots of material. We also get these call narratives. Well, uh, you know, Ezekiel is called in uh, in exile. Yeah. Ezekiel's a priest. Interestingly, so that's a lot of the prophecies that he brings speak very specifically to his priestly sensibilities. You know, there's stuff about you know cleanliness and a lot of stuff about the temple and 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 so yeah. forth uh, in his prophecies. Ezekiel encounters a lot of the hard heartedness that we've seen. You know, yet he's also Ezekiel's ministry really sows into and becomes the foundation of of, of a renewal during the time uh, of, of exile yeah and then speaks way beyond that because there are probably there are prophecies there that kind of speak to a future temple and the future you know um, yeah restoration mm-hmm. of of all the tribes of Israel in in the restoration of God's faithfulness and his promises and yeah. everything. So it goes beyond just the moment, which we've seen with most of the prophecies from the prophets. There's a, a yeah. now and there's also this future. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Anticipation as well. And, so. and the reason, you know, we know that there, we don't get a lot of detail about, the, we don't get stories no. really outside of the book of Daniel and Ezekiel. We don't really get stories about the Jews um, in Babylon, at least just, you know, uh, in our in our Bibles, but we do get plenty of indication that something remarkable is happening. I mean, you know, you get these stories of the godliness of, mm. you know, Daniel's friends in yep. the midst of of that people, and I think, uh, you know, they were very prominent, and they would have had, you know, a lot of influence amongst Jewish people. You know, you we have this remarkable story in Daniel about essentially the. Well, I mean, the conversion, conversion of Nebuchadnezzar, of Nebuchadnezzar yeah. who who you know acknowledges uh, Yahweh, the God of you know the God of Israel, yeah. and 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 has this yeah writes a chapter essentially of the book of Daniel, yes. uh, which is his testimony, yeah. and and so that's you know it's quite a I mean that that is just remarkable. But then it's even the fact that you after seventy years you do have a community there that's willing to actually drop everything because they established lives there yeah, in yeah. Babylon. And yeah. there's every indication that the Jewish people did quite well. You know, they were quite industrious. I mean, Jeremiah says, go there and contribute to the life. In, yes. And, you know, and there's every sense that God blessed them, every indication that God did bless them and their their life, their livelihoods uh, in Babylon. Because there's enough, uh, you know, historical material that points to the fact that they were a, you know, significant force in uh, at the time. We know that, you know, from the book of Esther that they were that they were very significant at the time. A lot of Jewish people around enough for there to be a significant element of anti-Semitism. Yeah. Anti-Semitism often uh, arises in response to a 
to uh, the Jews becoming quite prosperous yes. and, and even powerful. Yep. Yep. And that was certainly the case. Now, that's set in the Persian Empire. But it goes to show that these, you know, as a people, they're being significantly blessed uh, in, in exile. In exile yeah. Yet, even though they had good livelihoods there, there is still, you know, over 40,000 of them. And that's a significant number that end up going back uh, into you know, back to Jerusalem when, yeah. when the call goes out. So, you know, so we see, and and that was an expression of a revived piety, of a, a revived godliness, that they mm. would leave everything, go back to this land to that homeland. was essentially in ruins and so much unknown. That was a remarkable step of faith yeah. after, seven, you know, this 70-year exile to do that. And let's remember that, that most of those people had never seen Jerusalem at oh. its height. I mean, that like we're, we're leaving to go where? What, what, what? Exactly, because that's know. the next generation, that's essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's in, you know, even that's interesting because you get you know you get this one generation dying out, and then yep. the next generation enter into the promised land. Same, you know, it's yep. this, it's similar to the you know the yes. desert, uh, you know, and entering into the promised land, you know, under Joshua. But anyway, I mean, and and, and the. Reason for that is because God does not give up on his people. I mean, yeah. he, you know, the fact that you have these remarkable visions that are given to Ezekiel and Daniel shows that God is not finished mm. with his people mm. and that the renewal that and that, that allows for this this remnant to return and all through these prophecies and particularly in Isaiah speaks of a rent about this remnant that will return. You know, God creates this remnant. Uh, the fact that there are, as I said, there are over 40,000 people that are willing to leave everything behind and step into the unknown and go back to Jerusalem. You know, the, which is still lying in ruins. Oh, which is still lying in ruins. Mm. That is the result of a move of God. That yeah. is, you know, it is God who raises up that remnant. And, that, yeah. and that's, you know, that was the promise. And that, even enabled them to leave in the end. And even know? enabled them to leave yeah. and, and sends them with blessings yes. and, and provision and, you know the the over all of these things is this one vital truth that we need to always remember and that is that God is faithful thanks for listening to this episode of thrive deeper our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv you can contact us ask questions see all our resources and much more at our website thrivetoday.tv we really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive. Thrive.